Welcome to the Honest Enough Podcast, an ongoing conversation about ethics, context, and modern living. I'm Eggy. I'm Brian. And I'm Alex. And we have a special guest today, don't we? Yeah, he's kind of special. He's a I mean, like special, special. I just kind of like invited myself to the podcast. So thanks for, you know, <laughs> letting me in, guys. Why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, by the way, yeah, Jason. Jason, it's just oh, Jason. You know Jason? It's just like Jason. Just yeah, Jason. It's a first and last name. Just Jason. Oh shit. Branding. I get it. <laughs> you know what? I'd like to uh to, to, to address the, the listener for a second too. You know, it's been a while since we've posted anything. Uh just a little peek behind the curtain here with that. Uh we actually had quite a few episodes saved. Um, you know, l- lesson learned that a few of the topics became instantly irrelevant. For example, we had a full podcast where we talked about the Democratic Convention and the candidates that were in the primary. Um, we went great deal into Kamala Harris, and about a week after we recorded it, she dropped out of the race. So that like instantly fell through. So yeah, we're like a lot of people in the world right now, kind of going back to basics. And here we are on a Zoom call, uh, recording our podcast, and we're back, babies. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're back, man. And I'm ex- I'm excited to talk to you guys because realistically, I feel like we're having four very different experiences. Um, living in, you know, the time of COVID. And I'm so curious to hear about all of your individual experiences. Um, I don't want to start because I feel like I have probably the most dismissive outlook because I've been very blessed throughout the entire experience. So I'm going to let you guys cook. <laughs> uh, which one do you, I want to hear for, I'm, I'm just going to pick one of you guys to go first. And it has to be the guy with the grand piano in the background. That's not even a <laughs> yeah, virtual background. I'm looking at Brian um, in like the most interesting man in the world's house right now. <laughs> I, I, Brian, so, so when you, when you answer Eggie's question, could you include why you're in this lavish lifestyle <laughs> With literally an open grand piano with, I guess, a uh, a stuffed pheasant. duck on it? <laughs> pheasant, okay. Pheasant. Oh, pheasant. Look at yeah, that. I, was, I, look, I'm, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's expertly crafted. I really want to hear this story. I'm so poor, I thought it was a quail. That's how poor I am. I was like, yo, why does he have a stuffed quail on his grand piano? <laughs> just a quick update, I guess. Not much. Uh, just been really busy with work. Uh, as you all know, I work for a genetics company, and we've been developing some tests uh, to test for this COVID-19 stuff. So I can talk more about that later. I'm sure we'll get into it. But as for why I'm here, well, it's my girlfriend's parents' place. Um, I was in Queens up until about three or four days ago, and uh, it was pretty nice. But then I decided I want a little change in scenery, so I came up here. They had an extra room, so... Was she uh, in Queens with you or you were just in Queens by yourself and then you just decided to come because you missed her? Uh, I was in Queens with my parents and then decided, and then decided to, come to go to Nantucket. Basically, New Canaan. Word. Yeah. I think, um, and up until recently, Queens was actually, I think, the hotspot of New York City, probably it, like while you were there. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, that was a really interesting experience. Yo, hold up, Brian. So you went over there just strictly for a change of scenery, or were you starting to get scared? No, it was just a change of scenery. I, I've actually got quite a bit of a dismissive attitude about this whole thing as well. In terms of, like, am I, am I going to get sick, and, like, is it really that bad? I'm not that concerned, like, for myself. 
I'm more concerned for like my grandma, you know, like my parents and then, you know, like Emily's parents here. Um, obviously because of, you know, like age, things like that and just general health. But for someone like me, 27 years old, I sometimes work out, eat pretty healthily. Wasn't a big deal. That's crazy. Cause, uh, I was kind of thinking the same thing about the same thing, but not like the same way. But, um, I, I definitely am scared. Like if I were to get it, cause I'm also a little bit older than you are. And I have a uh, uh, high blood pressure if that, you know, and that being one of the underlying things at the same time, like what scares me more is not necessarily me going through it, but the people that I love, like, around me that you know like at the end of all this because we're just at this you know the cusp of it right like it's just starting still and by the end of it the numbers are going to be a, people are you know social distancing and doing all, all they that they need to do but at the same time it's only inevitable i think that somebody that you know close you know may be affected by it brian i'd like to hear a little more about the tests that your genetics lab is producing i think that's extremely uh, uh, extremely rare to talk to someone who's in a position like you right now. Yeah. Um, so basically we've developed two tests. Um, one is for detecting the presence of the COVID-19 virus in your body currently. So it will tell you if you are currently infected and the reason for why you're currently sick is because of COVID-19. And the other test is the antibody test, which has been on the news a lot recently. I'm sure you guys have noticed. Um, and that will tell you if you have antibodies to COVID-19, which may or may not determine whether you are resistant or possibly even immune to uh, future infections. But only time will tell. So can you, maybe just from a scientific ex uh, perspective, ex explain antibodies and why the assumption is that antibodies being present, uh, you know, would, would maybe like lean towards resistance or immunity, but we can't necessarily know for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so antibodies are essentially, um, the way I like to think of them are, you know how like in those, um, uh, in like some action films, like military movies, you got these guys that are like, uh, basically planning strike zones for, for fighter jets where they like basically run around and then they like pinpoint some GPS location, call up, you know, the fighter jets and be like, Hey, drop a bomb at this location. That's what antibodies basically are. They identify the places that need to be attacked and targets that need to be attacked and let, um, your white, you know, some kinds of white blood cells like B cells and T cells know to attack certain entities in your body. And so that's what antibodies are. If you have, if there, if it is found that you have those uh, for COVID-19 in your blood, um, it's a pretty good indicator that your body knows to fight COVID-19. And that's why there's a really strong belief that if you do have the antibodies, you are probably possibly immune or resistant at least to the virus and future infections. Um, and for... And for a refresher on this, we could all watch Osmosis Jones. Yeah. Go online and look up Osmosis Jones. It's a brilliant documentary starring Bill Murray 
and Chris Rock. Yeah, it's a hundred percent found footage documentary. Oh, that's right. I forgot Bill Murray is the guy that they're inside of. <laughs> um, so my question is, I guess, like you know, uh, a lot of what apparently, from what I've been reading, uh, indicates that the body's response to COVID may be some of the more lethal. Uh, it may lead to some of the most more lethal cases. Uh, there's something called a cytokine storm, which is, I guess, uh, your body kind of overreacting to it, much like in the same way that, like, if someone's allergic to shellfish, their body might start, like, you know, inflaming to a point where it's dangerous. Uh, not that that would be the response to COVID, but that maybe, like, your lungs or some kind of um, processes in your body are, are disrupted by, by overly correcting against the virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so just, uh, just to go over really quickly what a cytokine storm is, is just essentially those same white blood cells that uh, I just talked about or just mentioned. Um, like you said, Alex, they're overreacting to the, to the foreign entity in your system. And basically those white blood cells are being overproduced in your body. Um, but the problem with these white blood cells is that they're designed to kill and die. But when they kill and die, they need to be released somewhere. And what happens is they typically uh, wind up in things like, like that's basically what pus is in your body. So like if you've ever had an infection on your skin and you like squeeze it, sometimes you'll notice like this white goop that comes out uh, or like this clear fluid. That's all. <laughs> goop. <laughs> goop. When's the last time you heard goop on a podcast, y'all? <laughs> no, but you know what? That's interesting because I didn't. I honestly didn't know that like pus was part of the the yeah. process of fighting it. I thought that was part of the infection itself. That's interesting. Well, it is. It's like a mix. So, like the reason why it's all there, it's like a mix of like dead, dead bacteria or viruses, whatever, and your white blood cells. So like sometimes also when you, this is going to get really gross, but it's, it's science, man. Like whenever you cough, like you hawk up a loogie and sometimes you see it's like not clear. It's like got some, got some, you know, stuff to it. Like the white goop again. That's, that's also, you Goops know, and loogies. Your body's trying to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, according to Osmosis Jones, basically what happens is that the virus creates like a nightclub in your skin, right? So like this nightclub <laughs> is fucking bustling and it's getting popping and the white blood cells and antibodies. And if you take any aspirin or any kind of medicine, they roll up in that club and they start shooting the club up. You understand? So it's like they start gooping it up in there. And once it's all one giant goop and it breaks the surface of the epidermis, you can kind of squeeze the goop out and essentially you're just like shutting down the club. You know what I mean? So you can all of it out. That's true. Science. Yeah. And so um, many metaphors. And, you know, I, I think there's like a lasso involved and like a brown leather jacket and stuff like that. That's definitely <laughs> it's, it's a good old time. So it, it's great to have some background on the science, right? Like some background, like at least like, uh, 
level understanding of where we are with the science, right? So we know that there is this antibody test. We know that there's tests to see if you have the virus. We know that the virus is real and it exists. One of the things that really, really interests me is how it's affecting everyone on a personal level, right? So it's like one thing that I know for sure about Alex that I've seen on his Instagram was that they're washing cans, right? So like they're going yo, to the yo, supermarket. Shots fired, man. <laughs> Call oh, me wait, out. What? <laughs> no, what? you're right. You're right. You're right. That's 100% so, true. Alex is washing cans. So to me, that exemplifies a level of worry that I have not reached yet because not because I don't think that it could exist on a can, but it's just like, bro, if I'm going to get the shit off of a can, then that's just like fate. You know what I mean? Like, then I, like I can't, nothing you do is going to save you from yeah, it. Like, Exactly. That's how I feel, Brian. Like it's like, yo, if it's this, if it's this far into the minutia, I don't think that anything is going to help me. Well, uh, I, I would like to address the haters for a second. So first off, uh, you know, everyone's talking about antibodies. I'm pro body, honestly. So <laughs> I had to. It's not a podcast if I don't throw a dad joke in there. Dad joke. Um, okay, so so let, let's let's address it. So uh, I have asthma which means that uh, theoretically I could be in a higher risk group. Um, however, some reassuring studies have kind of come out uh, as a result of some of the tests I've seen out of Wuhan, China, and out of New York City. Uh, there does not seem to be a direct link between the lethality of COVID-19 and asthma. People are kind of surprised by that. You would think that anything that's a respiratory disease um, that makes it harder to breathe, like, you know, theoretically it would put you in a higher risk group. Uh, however, I'm reassured by the fact that uh, so far the numbers don't seem to support that. So I'm, I'm mentally laxing a little bit as a result of that. But in the beginning, um, that I, 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 to be honest with you, I'm, uh, I, I am a little afraid of things like that. Um, I generally am this guy. And unfortunately, my girlfriend is also that girl. So we're really good at enabling each other in the whole like survivalist uh, do whatever it takes type of like, uh, stacking food. We have a quarant we have a con- decontamination zone in our apartment. We're taking this like literally as seriously as you could possibly take it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if at the end of the day we don't get sick, then it's like, oh yeah, maybe that wasn't necessary. But, uh, the way I see it is like, if you have any control over your fate, why not, uh, take it? But I, I totally it's understand. It's almost like Pascal's wager, right? Ooh, remind me of Pascal's wager. Um, the basically, um, like if there is a God out there and that like Christianity is the, the religion to follow and that that's the God to, to believe in, like, why not be a good Christian in the event that you are wrong, you know, you just die and go back to the earth. But in the event that, you know, you're right, you get to go to heaven and by not being a good Christian, you'll just wind up in hell. So you're, so you're better off wagering on being a good Christian. I, I have I have one one more tidbit to explain my paranoid, uh, over-the-top response to this uh, virus. When I was a kid, uh, I had, um, you know, like a lot of kids, tonsillitis, and I had to have my tonsils and adenoids removed. Adenoids are, you know, uh, involved in that same process. Uh, when that happened, I received a massive infection and was actually in an oxygen tank for like a week and like was severely sick for like the entire age of like five and a half to like six years old. Like six months of my life as a kid are like a complete blank 
because of that. So I do think that there's a little bit of like residual fear that's involved in like similar, uh, a similar type of respiratory infection that happened when I was a kid. So I'm not going to say that that's not possible. Like psychology is very real and like people's responses are often influenced by their childhoods. And yeah, I gave it some thought and I was like, it's very possible that when that happened as a kid, that that like made me extra paranoid about like respiratory uh, infections and things like that. So uh, I will own up to the fact that it's very possible that I'm blowing this out of proportion, but I'm totally comfortable with that. Psychology is real. Three, three things. Number one, I need to uh, say I feel like everyone should do whatever they need to do to feel comfortable, right? Whether it's washing cans. Obviously, I'm going to make fun of you because you're my <laughs> friend. But if that's what you need to do to feel comfortable, then it makes total sense. Right. And then the second thing is residual trauma is a very real thing. And it's like that, that does clear up and makes me want to make fun of you less, but I'm still going to make fun of the cans. And I, then, I, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> and then number three is Pascal's wager. The whole problem with the whole value proposition of Christianity is forgiveness. So it's like the good thing about it is that you could be a total fucking asshole and then 10 minutes before you die, just be like, holy shit, God, I am sorry. And you will get into Christian heaven because that's their value proposition. If not, it's false advertisement. It's, it's all about timing in Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, don't, if you don't do it in earnest, though, is that, is that like worth, is that, can that be forgiven? Listen, it has to be earnest because God is never more real than when you're facing death, right? Like I, that's um, when, sorry, I have a... Nah, I go have for a, it. I have actually a story actually that lives up to the example that Edgar uh, provided with the Christianity and forgiveness. Cause um, my cousin's grandmother, you know, like she was in her like eighties and like in her deathbed. Um, and she was never a religious person. She didn't, you know, she didn't grow up in a religious uh, household or anything. Um, but like my aunt is Christian is a Christian. So at some, at some point, um, she asked her if she wanted to kind of like get baptized or just kind of like accept Christ um, before she went. And somehow my dad got involved and my dad asked uh, his pastor, would you be able to do it? And I guess typically pastors don't kind of do this kind of thing. Like you haven't gone to church your entirety of your whole life and you want to all of a sudden you're about to be on your deathbed and you want to get accepted and, you know, try to go to heaven. But he eventually relented and went to the hospital, baptized her, like, the day before she died. And kind of like, you know, to uh, Edgar's point in his example, is just kind of like, does that, does that valid? Is that validated? You know, like, I, 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 don't, I, I mean, can't knows, speak to right? the legality within, like, the dogma of Christianity, but I can say for sure that that probably provided her some, like, relief and, like, uh, probably, like, made that last day... I don't know, just like feel better. Uh, and w w what I always come down to is if it works, use it. So if, if that made her feel better, like who could say that there's anything wrong with it? But yeah, I mean, the legality of Christian dogma is tricky. It depends on who you're asking, right? Historically, I think we're going to have to accept it because Mother Teresa became a saint and she was notorious for converting people on their deathbed. So uh even against their own wishes uh that was one of the knocks on <laughs> really 
Yeah, so oh, that's actually, crazy. It's actually is one one of the fun things that I've discovered is that if you look at every like historical figure, there is a corresponding Wikipedia page that says the Knox against. So it's like you look up Gandhi and it's like everything wrong with Gandhi is like a Wikipedia page. Everything wrong with Mother Teresa is like a Wikipedia page because it's like, you know how like it, someone's voice has to be suppressed in order for a narrative to come forward. Right. So regardless of the narrative behind it, there's going to be suppressed voices. And each one of these figures that have these incredibly powerful narratives have these like entries of like voices saying this is not right so it's like with mother Teresa, she was like converting muslims into christians on their deathbed like and she was just going from hospital to hospital which is a big no-no right like yeah that's gross (laughs) but i think that the vatican accepted it and they made her a saint so we're gonna have to say that it's valid by christianity to go full full on and across the board kill your idols there's no such (laughs) yeah i mean like what is a saint you know like I've only seen one in my entire life and he didn't win the primary. So, uh, I would love to have a follow-up episode where we talk about what the November election is probably going to look like. It's going to probably be such a shit show, but that feels like a whole other episode. Uh, all right. So I want to go to Jason before we leave the COVID stuff. And I want to go to Jason mostly because, uh, he's, essentially for lack of a better term trapped in the confines of his own home and you're trapped with a kid which is different than any of our experiences because i think that having life that you have to take care of kind of changes the entire dynamic of how you view this whole thing maybe it doesn't maybe it's business as usual for you but how how has that changed at all like do you feel any additional weight into what you do because you know you have this child? For sure. Um, I think the fact that I have a child is probably, I mean, we're all definitely trapped inside our homes, right? For the most part. Um, but I, and I don't know exactly how I would have reacted differently if I didn't have a child at home. Cause I'm definitely on the cautious side, just like Alex, uh, doing my due diligence, um, with all the precautions. But um, with that being said, I do think if I didn't have a child, there would be a lot more freedom and flexibility and just the ability to just leave the house as me and the wife going out and at least at the very least, like, you know, getting some fresh air and going for walks, renting a car, even doing something. But the fact that I have this child or even actually going to a friend's house because I've had friends call me and like they're like, do you want to come over and we could socially distance together in the backyard and just hang out. But with my child being only two and basically being a conduit of like any this, uh, virus that might be present, getting passed back and forth, he doesn't know like if I tell him to stay here, he's not going to stay here. He's going to be running around and drooling everywhere and putting shit in his mouth um, and all that stuff. So just the mere fact of that, um, since the quarantine started, he's only left the apartment twice. Once was way in the beginning when the playgrounds were still, the parks were still open. And there's one about like four or five blocks away from here. So we just went for a walk. Like we just literally just walked through the playground and came back home. And he was like in a stroller the whole time. Um, The second time was for a pediatrics appointment to get his vaccines because 
the we actually got a I just got an email from our pediatrics office saying that the number of immunizations are down for kids and because everybody's afraid to come out but at the same time like by trying to hide your kids and yourself from um, coronavirus you're risking being exposed to all these other diseases I mean we're not going outside so probably the the risk is minimal but at the same time that's definitely holds true as well and and JC you're talking about like uh, rubella and tuberculosis you're talking about like the normal immunization yeah the, the ones that, that we have. normally get um, as a child if you're not an anti-vaccine person um, <laughs> I'm getting all the vaccines that uh that you know that is recommended uh, for a child and so we're going through the entire schedule of getting all those so um, for the two-year um, appointment he had to get maybe like two shots um, they actually didn't have like there was some timing issues so he didn't get the, uh, one of them but I actually didn't even get to go inside to the office only my wife did because they're only allowing one parent inside the, uh, the offices uh, just to kind of minimize the amount of people that are there because it's not necessary it's not a hospital it's like a small office with a bunch of different rooms so you just want to kind of keep you know the traffic to a minimum so um, my wife also has not left the house because of that either and she's the on a typical normal day pre-covid she'd be the one person like begging to let's go out let's do something let's go explore the city let's do this and I'm the one who's just lazy and just want to just sleep in and watch TV and eat and that's it. Um, and now, like she, like my parents, like I FaceTime with them like on a daily basis and they ask her and like, how are you doing? And she's like, I mean, obviously nobody wants to be home all day, right? But uh, at the same time, she's like, she's fine with it. She's just like, I gotta do, you know, what's necessary. Um, but I mean, so that's. There's definitely a, a feeling of like, you know, I, I talked to friends and they went for like a four hour walk to wherever and came home. Uh, I don't have that. Um, I mean, I have it a little bit. I, like I went bike riding like a couple of weeks ago, like maybe twice uh, during this whole time. So that's like my one way of getting out. Besides that, it's only a grocery store, it's pharmacy. That's it. And then there's also the added fact of like having to raise a toddler and do work so there's the balance of that because we're both working um i mean luckily my job is not so like you know high uh, high stress for the most part you know i have meetings but we try to schedule around it and be you know smart about it but what what is it like for hudson do you think like how, I, how do you think he's registering this experience I think in the beginning, right before all this started, he's so used to going out and he was starting to realize the concept of going out and he would actually like point to the door and say, let's, are we going out? You know, not like in the full sentence, but he would kind of indicate he wanted to go out. Um, but after like within a week, he stopped asking. Um, cause definitely there's been instances like, you know, prior to that because he was going out on an everyday basis so he knew if he gets he loves going out like even just exploring in our apartment building going to different like the lounge and running around um he loved doing loves doing all that kind of stuff so but as as like time progressed early on and we stopped doing it he stopped asking um and luckily i think he's at a point where he's still young enough where he doesn't really know what, what's going on he's just hanging out with his family and his parents are just home all day and playing. But at the same time, like, you know, he's a baby. So it's like, he wants to play, but we have to work. So there's always that struggle. Um, 
And then I, I joked around with Diana about how he's going to end up being like, this is going to end up being like the, the movie Room, where the kid was like raised inside a room like his entire <laughs> life. And he comes out for the first time and he's like, what is this world? You know, like when he's finally like, by the time this is all over, he's going to be like putting sentences and like having conversations with me. And then he's going to be like, you know, tell me that everything that he's been looking out the window, he thought was all fake. My, 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 my official review of Room uh, is about 35 minutes too long. But uh, it's, a, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's about 35 minutes just of straight fluff. But um, I will say that it's interesting how that's going to resonate because I know that uh, uh, Jason mentioned, you know, his son will have no remembrance of a time before we had to shelter from viruses you know what i mean so it's going to be interesting to see how those children or how these children like the the kids that are children right now how they grow up because for what's a new normal for us it's just their normal you know so it's like we're like we never really capture or comprehend how the world changes after major events when we're children right so it's like at least for me, when I was even the 2008 like recession, let's say like 2008, I wasn't a child. I was in my I was in my late teens. I had to be probably around I don't know 18, 19 years old. But the recession meant absolutely nothing to me because I was working at the Hard Rock Cafe and I still had the same job and nobody could tell me shit. Like it's like I'm working, I'm chilling. I had no idea what the fuck recession even meant. So in retrospect, that issue means nothing to me. Like, I don't remember a world before the recession, you know, uh, in terms of being out in the work field. So it's going to be interesting for these children if this does become something that we have to periodically do, right, where it's like we're doing it now and let's say we have to do it again next year or the year after that or whatever the case is, this is just the way they live. So it's going to be very interesting to see just how they adapt socially. The um, the more interesting part, like one of the reasons why I wanted to jump on this podcast and talk is kind of to Edgar's point again. Um, you know, like, like uh, 2008, like recession for me, I was early 20s coming out of college. And even then, like thinking back, I'm like, I don't really remember much like of a big change, right? Like I went away to college, I came back, recession happened. And then they were like, it's, it'll be hard to get jobs. That was like the biggest worry of it all. And then like, I also went away to college. So like by the time I came back to New York City, it was like there was like that big uh, like those pivotal years where like you become an adult that I was away. Um, so I came back and New York was just New York. I mean, I definitely remembered New York from the 90s when it was a lot more gritty. But, you know, just like everything just kind of gotten better. Like it was just kind of accepted because I wasn't I didn't really think much of it because I'm also like at a young age where biggest thing is about just like going out and hanging out and all that stuff. So for us, as this life shifts like for us, it's like it's been, you know, a normal life, whatever, normal. Um, but like with this pandemic, obviously, it's, you know, something that none of our families have ever experienced. It's like they, it goes back 100 years before something even close to this has happened. So I'm more curious about like what kind of impacts this is going to have moving forward. Like a lot of people seem to think 
that, you know, from the beginning, I'm like, when this whole thing started, I'm like, oh, this is definitely not going to last two weeks or a month or whatever. Like everybody's trying to like, I don't know if they're saying that because they just want to feel better or like just kind of to reduce panic and all that. But, you know, just, just reading off the fact like that a vaccine can't even be created until 18 months. And that's best case scenario because like vaccines don't even get developed that fast. Yeah, that basis. is that is you know? apparently the, like if everything works out perfectly, it's like exactly Mar- like, March of 2021. This is, is with the whole like. world and the smartest people in all of mankind that are working on this, and even then, it has to be the perfect scenario for that to be developed. So th- um, this is the this is the problem with this scenario because you would think that it's like oh the whole world everyone's working on it. What people are actually financially in. Uh, the financial incentives are actually to create a treatment. It's really expensive to develop a vaccine. Uh, Brian, maybe you could tell us a little bit about like what the costs would actually be like to create and distribute an actual vaccine, and like maybe possibly like your insights into like how that would compare to to just creating an okay treatment. Yeah. Um, so for creating a vaccine, generally in the past has always been just weakening an existing virus. Um, sometimes rare cases, maybe even like a bacteria, um, and then trying to gauge how much of that dead virus or weakened virus or pathogen you would give to someone or first animals and then people, um, and then slowly increase dosages to see how it affects the, the individual. Um, and that, yeah, does take a long time, right? Cause like, it doesn't take it doesn't take an hour for an injection of a potential vaccine to like show its results. It, you need to wait like a week per, per injection or something like that. And if you kind of like spread that out over many, many tests to ensure that it's, that it works, that ends up being like, you know, so many weeks of testing that you have to go through just to make sure that this vaccine works and is safe. Um, there is a lot of promise though, these days that I've read about, uh, that they've been like trying to leverage some machine learning software to try to come up with like a sort of synthetic vaccine, if you will, um, which could be cool, but it's obviously untested and we know absolutely nothing about it. Of course you would bring up machine learning, but, um, (laughs) um, I did read the article about the uh, the company in the UK working with Oxford University. I think it's Gilead, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, that they're Gilead coming. Sciences. Um, they have a vaccine that they were producing for the Ebola virus that did not come to market because it was for whatever reason it was not whatever uh, good enough. I can't pronounce the name of the, the the treatment, but from what I read, it's you know has promising signs that it can potentially help shorten the lifespan of the treatment by like a third. And that's, I think Dr. Fauci also had mentioned it recently. So from the last I read, they already started um, testing like as early as like yesterday. Um, And things are with like placebo testing to kind of make sure. And they did come to the conclusion that it it does perform better than um, placebo. So so i mean vaccine yeah i mean but to your point um alex like that makes total sense about the whole like incentive to create a treatment versus a vaccine because 
everybody is it's all a business first of all and every every article that you read about some sort of solution to this they always somehow squeeze in how much of their stock prices just kind of like jumped up in the ne- the last week or so right like i mean you always have to include that in there every everything is like all market forces right it's like if there's no financial advantage to doing something there's very little reason to do it these days well one of the the things that the this whole pandemic also raises the question about is like capitalism and like globalization and how the whole world has been going in one direction and now the fact that we're all like you know boots you know everything has stopped in motion because of this and how like we can't get like PPE and masks and this and that and all that stuff because we're all dependent on like one country to get you know produce everything. So that's a whole nother discussion of trying to like explore if we're going in the right track or if we need to change something or if there needs to be more like domestically uh, you know produced uh, things and there's so much like that this is like exposing that's it's just like you know. Oh yeah, so for cool. sure. We're like seeing the cracks in the American system when it's purely put to a test. Speaking of masks, uh, and Eggy's playing real chill in the cut. He's not talking about his experience all that much. We're going to shift to you. And first question I have for Eggy: Do you have a mask, and do you wear it when you go out in NYC? It's his beard. I have. <laughs> just, just flips it upwards. He just flips it upwards. Uh, all right. So I think no, so. Let me preface this. I have a mask for two reasons. Number one, because I have a girlfriend. And number two, because a lot of places won't let you in without a mask. So um, the supermarket, the pharmacy, the beauty supply, I mean, shit, even McDonald's uh, requires a mask for you to come in. So the mask is a must. It's necessary uh, just to keep up with the social times. If it was up to me, I probably wouldn't wear it. Um like, uh, you know, it's one of those things I just don't, again, I just don't, it's one of those things where it's like, if I start getting into the minutia, it's like, what, what am I really doing here? Like I, like you ever seen one of those, um, infographics where they show how germs spread from surface to surface based on everything you touch that you don't even realize you're touching. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, ah. Uh, but I do have a mask because it is standard. And despite how much I care, uh, the, my, despite how much I don't care, sorry, <laughs> I still need to keep up with the times, right? Like if, 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 if the science is saying, yo, wear a mask, I'm going to go ahead and wear the mask. So I, I am trying to do at least the bare minimum. It's nice. It's nice to know you're not an antisocial person. Yeah, yeah, I'm not antisocial. Like, if the science says wear a mask, fuck it. Let me wear a mask. Whatever. I'm, I'm distancing. You know what I mean? And I wear a mask to go out because that's that makes sense to me. Whatever. But there is definitely some like dissonance between what I see on TV and what I hear from people, and then what I'm personally experiencing. You know, and I'm not a denier. Be- like, and I could easily be so, but I'm trying to look at that dissonance as me just being particularly blessed or lucky. You know, like there's no one directly related to me who has been impacted thank god there's no one um 
that that I even know like at a distance that has been affected by it that isn't a medical worker. Like I know one person who did get the oh I know two people who got the who actually got the virus. They both made it through fine. One of them had terrible symptoms, but she came out of it. The other one is a medical professional and she got it without she was asymptomatic, but she was she did test positive for it, but she didn't have any symptoms. So it's it, it, it kind of harkens back on Brian's point where it's like I understand that it's real and I understand that I could get it, but I'm not necessarily in fear for my own life. Um, so, so that's kind of like why I've been able to coast through it for the most part. Um, I guess another blessing is that I, I live in a building with some amenities and they've left the amenities open. So it's provided at least a little bit of room to roam where like, you know, I do, I go up on the roof pretty much all the time, get some fresh air. I'm down here in the basement now. And it's like, uh, like we have a couple lounge areas, like we're playing pool, we're playing foosball, like, and I also have, which is a surprise blessing actually is that I have roommates, right? So because I have roommates, it's like my house is always bussing. Like there's, there's like this, there's, there's always stuff going on. Like there's social interaction going on because I can't distance from my roommates. So it ends up just us having more interaction. So that's been kind of a surprise blessing that I recognize as a blessing because I have some friends that are going absolutely batshit crazy. You know what I mean? Like I had a friend that forced us to go on a Zoom with them because it's just like they're so fucking bored. And it's like, do they, do they live alone? Relatively, they they live they live with like their their wife and kid, which is much different than living with like two of your buddies and your girlfriend. You like know? JC, yeah, like JC. Did he, did he call you? Yo, did you just no. call out? <laughs> while while I long for Zoom calls, I, I don't I don't seek it out. I just normally wait for the invitations, and it's been pretty quiet. Yeah, I know. No, listen, it's pretty quiet. In my house, it's pretty quiet because like us three, we like me and my two roommates, we have each other. So it's kind of like we're all kind of socializing off each other pretty much. It's one of those things where my experience has been very different than some other people that are really, really feeling it. So so I, I try to not complain too much and I try to not push my experience as the norm and kind of just look at it like I'm having a very blessed experience. Like my mom is in Florida. She's fine. My dad is here. I speak to him regularly and he's doing fine. And, you know, it's just, I've been very blessed in that way. So it's like, I haven't been impacted by it directly. So it's really hard for me to freak out about it, you know? Uh, because I don't have that direct correlation to anything. You know, I don't have asthma. I, I, I haven't had any prior respiratory issues. So it, it, I, I kind of just been chilling, you know. Um, it, it, is, it is surreal at times, though, still, because it, it's surreal to be, to see something on your phone or on TV or in the media, and you know it exists, but to go outside or to even go upstairs or like do anything, it doesn't look like it exists. You know what I mean? It's just this invisible force that is just like creeping on everybody and behind every corner. And you just don't know when you're going to turn a corner and see it. It, It's still very surreal for me, but the fear hasn't really set in. Well, I, I I personally hope that uh, it stays that way. Uh, I I wouldn't, I would definitely not hope that anyone, so much to the way, same way you said that everyone should stick to their comfort level. Um, to me, it's like, yo, if if 
like happiness is a state of mind. So like if you feel, um, you know, unburdened by it, more power to you. Like as long as you're doing the common courtesy, which it sounds like you obviously are of like, you know, just considering other people who are like more at high risk, then why would anybody fault you for having a, you know, kind of aloof opinion of the whole thing? Cause it's like, at this point, I think everyone's responsibility is just to survive and to not, uh, you know, be careless in, in how they interact with other people who are like significantly older or, you know, uh, actually, you know what, this leads to, if you guys don't mind, I have a question and I'd like to get all your opinion on this. Um, I am currently on worldometers.info slash coronavirus. If you go to this site, um, and according to reported numbers, um, the United States, which is a pretty populous country, but it's also a big country, has by far the highest number of total deaths. Now, I do not doubt that the United States is better at reporting deaths than other countries might be. I could see Brian's face. He wanted to, he really wanted to, you know, feel free to jump cough, in on any cough. moment, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> cough, no, cough. I love statistics. Um, I, I love statistics at the high level, but I love speaking to like ground level statistic people like you that could really like bring things back down to earth. But um, so let's assume that other countries that are um, at different, uh, that have different standards of reporting these types of things and have different resources for reporting these types of things. Let's assume that like our numbers are more accurate than others just for the sake of it. But let's go ahead and also say uh, our numbers are pretty fucking high given our our population, right? So, you know, uh, it, it's probably fair to say that like a country like India or Bangladesh uh, that has a, a very large population for the amount of square footage probably has higher numbers than are actually reported. Uh, we also have extremely high testing rate here in the United States compared to others. Um, regardless of what public opinion is on that, we're kind of leading in testing, um, even though we want more. Um, but some of these countries... Like, the data can't be that wrong. Like, for example, like, the UK, I would th- I would think, is, like, somewhat a reliable source. Canada, I would think, is a somewhat reliable source. So why do you all, and I'll save my opinion for last, think that the United States is so freaking high in total cases, total deaths, total cases per 1 million in the population, and total deaths per 1 million in the population? Hey... Whoever, whoever wants to go first, um, can go first. I think a big part of this is the fact that so many people are asymptomatic and there is a delayed reaction to actually experiencing the symptoms of the virus. But isn't every country asymptomatic? No, but I'm saying, but part of that, I think there is an American mentality of invincibility ability um and i think just the mere fact like before the the new york pause happened when cuomo uh, the governor and de blasio were like stay home this is real stay home people are dying that first weekend people were still out you know they were going to bars they were going to restaurants there were there were only like like you know, a fraction of the restaurants that were doing like, you know, limited seating where it's like every other table, like they were still business as usual. Cause I think it's also the fact that in our lifetime or even in our parents' lifetime, we have never experienced anything like this. So nobody 
there's a lot of deniers. <laughs> you would, because you almost, you almost hope that Americans, you know, me being an American myself, like we're, you know, a prominent country, probably, arguably, the the power of the world, right? So you would think we're somewhat smarter, or potentially can be smarter, or make smarter decisions. I mean. You're from Florida, so you, you give me that space and you know. controversial. <laughs> and I, I worked in retail. I, I worked in retail, so I know. And I love just, it. Just off the mere fact, like the increased number of hospitalizations, like in the last two weeks, from people in, uh, injecting bleach into their system, says a lot. Oh, okay. So you so, so well, you I, have so you have not injected bleach into your system. Is not what you're bleach. To, to, not hundred percent bleach. You're fucked. Dilu- me, yeah, dude. That's that's on you, man. Here's here's the thing. To, uh, sorry, go ahead. Finish that thought, Jason. No, so like it's the same thing with um, right now with contact tracing. That's like another big hot topic right now. Like in in a way to kind of figure out like the next steps. And countries like South Korea and Hong Kong and some of these other countries have successfully done that when they were still at the containment stage. And that, those are the reasons why they were able to contain and not spread the virus. I think Americans also are going to be an uproar if you find out like if they find out oh the government's tracing all of our you know phones and our activity and and you know violating our privacy uh privacies and that's another reason that's another american mentality of like going about where it's gonna like be another big battle to even it's gonna like we already screwed up on the testing we already screwed up on many stages in the beginning and this is like potentially something else that we're going to end up screwing up on because of like the people right. not willing to so take it Same i, I actually don't agree that we screwed up on testing but we could come back to that uh i i think eggy's got something to say i i will just add that like this is one of those perfect examples of like you know i love the american like live free mentality i think it's like a whole swagger thing that makes us special. And I do believe in it as exceptionalism, but I do think that like, unfortunately an authoritarian government is better equipped to deal with a threat like this than we are. And that's a sad truth that I, wi- it's like that, um, Eggy, you, uh, who, who here watched, um, the wire, you wish it was one way, but it's the other way. Like, yeah. I think it's just one of those situations of like, I would love it if like freedom perfectly aligned with containment of a virus. It does not because we, we value our freedom more than and, our lives in some and cases. It's, and it's, and it's fucked up because I Literally wish I would die. Yeah. And it's fucked up because I wish I would have gone first in replying to Alex's question because now it feels like I'm copying, but really it comes down to freedom, right? Like it's like, I have never in, and honestly, I've never paid attention much to like social uh, commentary or like what's going on socially, but by and far, this is the most I've ever seen people kind of clamor for some kind of totalitarian state. It's the most ridiculous shit. It's kind of like like people I've seen people clamor for curfews or for repeating some of the stuff that's been done in other nations. And it's like, nah, bro, fuck that. Like if motherfuckers want to go out, you know what? It's going to happen and you could institute some kind of ticketing system or whatever. But the idea of boarding people up in their homes or the idea of people needing their phones tapped by like that Apple and and Google thing where they wanted to track people's uh, interactions via the phone, that kind of shit. It's like, bro, I honestly think I'd rather die. Like I'd rather see the virus proliferate than get to a point where people are being literally boarded into their house. It's just not 
it stops becoming America at that point, right? Right. Like, but do do you agree that that's a that's like a pretty distinctly American cultural phenomenon? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because like uh, in 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 Dominican Republic, there they they instituted like a five p.m. curfew, right? So it's like at five p.m. they have like the fucking police in response vehicles. to the coronavirus. Yeah, in response to COVID, oh, they instituted like a five p.m. curfew. And at 5 p.m., there's literally police vehicles in the street just patrolling and making sure that everyone's inside, right? And for a country of that size, they really have to mobilize in that way because they don't have the infrastructure to support, you know, an outbreak of our magnitude, right? So they have to do certain things that are entirely a violation of civil liberties, but it has to be done because otherwise their infrastructure will crumble, right? So uh, save anything that will make the American institution crumble. I think that you have to kind of just live with it, right? Like it's like this is this is what it means to be free in America, right? This is what it means to believe in the liberty that America promises, right? So I, I think that freedom is the reason why you see that. And part of that is that a lot of people complain about America because I think that by and large, our shit is out there for people to just see. Like there's a lot of, for every person in America that supports like the hand or big brother or deep state or whatever you want to call it, there is some asshole waiting to blow the whistle, right? So I feel like here in America, we always have that asshole that wants to be so free that they're going to tell the truth, right? Because that is the ultimate freedom. Somewhat ironic. It's actually really funny today during dinner, Emily's mom described Americans as a shoot from the hip kind of people, real casual, you know, like, fuck it, whatever, we'll do whatever the hell we want. (laughs) Um, And that I think perfectly sums up exactly why we have so many cases in this country. We just don't, we just don't like listen to anyone. We do whatever the hell we want. America. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I love it and I hate it at the same time. <laughs> I think that's everybody's opinion, right? Like every, it's like, true. That's why everyone agree. wants to be an American. Um, I mean, it's because Hollywood makes it look fucking dope, you know. Um, because it other, is dope. But but as, other, a, as like a scientist, what's your opinion of, of these numbers? I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a scientist, but uh, these You're numbers the most are scientist on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, these numbers are really high, um, and I think partly it's to do with the fact that we are in a really populous country, but we're also, as far as nations go, like centers of trade and transportation and commerce. So like, like every country in the world has people coming to our country. Like that's undeniable. Even now, like even on lockdown, people are still flying in and out of the U.S. from many different parts of the world. Like, it is inevitable that we will be the epicenter of something like this, especially as infectious as this thing is. Um, There's, like, nothing we could have done to have stopped that. Uh, And it's only made worse by the fact that we're shoot-from-the-hip type people, so we don't care about quarantining ourselves. And then as for, like, why we we have so many tests, uh, that's just, you know, that's just market forces at play again, right? Clearly, like we as a country have like the largest, the highest number of the largest corporations in the world. And we can at any time like mobilize, well, 
you know, because of market forces, have those resources mobilized to any one thing. So these companies just saw an opportunity. You guys probably noticed that like, it's not the government that's handing out masks, right? It's like companies that are selling masks to hospitals. And where do these companies get these masks from? Not the US government. They just bought it overseas from China or something like that, right? So it's really just market forces. These companies saw an opportunity, bought up a whole bunch of masks and PPE, distribute it, turn a profit. Um, same deal with tests, man. It's the same, same thing. It's just they saw an opportunity. They're going to create more tests just like my company did. And, you know, frankly speaking, like that's, yeah, we did want to do our part to help the country, but there was a financial motive there too. Like the demand for it is so high. Like there, we've talked to a bunch of like potential customers and a whole bunch of them just straight up, right off the bat said, we'll buy out your entire supply of tests. So like, we don't even need to worry about looking for other clients because one customer would suffice. Like that's the level of demand that's there right now. And that's, that's always was funny to me because that always raises my, my denier antennas. This is when I become a flat earther. It's like the deli is saying is selling the 50 cent mask for $5 a pop, bro. Like, yeah. it's like, they're just uh, the little blue ones with the strings, five fucking dollars. And I'm standing there in line watching these people buy a $5 mask. And I'm just like, fuck, man, why are you freaking out so much? Go home and wear a sock. You Bro. get the same fucking effect. Yeah, I agree with that. But how much is water worth in the desert, you know? Bars. Just quote Alex Amoretti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick question. Um, and I think I know the answer to this, but can you remind us what your company was doing, like, in February of 2020, Brian? <laughs> yeah. In February of 2020, um, we started discussing whether or not this was something we could do. Because we knew like right off the bat that we had all the equipment and the capability to do I, this. I'm sorry, I, what, I, what I mean is what you were doing before, uh, before COVID. Even, even explore, before even exploring. Oh, yeah. sure, yeah. Like what was the original uh, like mission of your company? So the original mission was to, well, so we'd have a bunch of tests that we've developed, genetic tests um, that are, a diagnostic quality, which means that it's not just, you know, like horoscope astrology type shit where you like find out, oh yeah, I'm like part, I'm part African or like I'm part whatever, you know, Navajo, something like that. But it's like, oh, you have a genetic likelihood of developing breast cancer at some point in the future, or you're predisposed to developing diabetes. So like, you know, lay off the sugar that kind of thing. So like our goal was to develop genetic tests that can be used in much the same way that you take a blood test for to find out like, Hey, you've got like high cholesterol right now. You should do something right now before it becomes bad. Uh, and then someone, you know, saw the opportunity. Yeah. So, so obviously it's like, you know, you want to do the right thing. You want to help, but like it, there's, there's something super American about yeah. like trying to make that scrollo, right? Like that's I, just I like how we do this thing. All right. I can't that's capitalism. Remember. Yeah. I can't it's, remember not, who... it's not even a corrupt, it's not corruption. It's just, uh, if there's an opportunity, uh, like you said, market forces will take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. I can't remember who said it, but someone, some point 
said to me, like, if you can't help yourself, you can't help others. Something like that. Yo, that's I think I, I think <laughs> that's I, nah, fucking American. I think I learned that on a, on a flight where it's like you have to put your mask on first before your kids. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, that's probably was a flight attendant that told mm. me that. <laughs> it was a flight attendant. Uh, yo, I have a quick question. And, and I feel like with the, the, the corona stuff, right, it's been months since we spoke. So it's like all fresh for us. It's the first time that we've exchanged ideas. So it feels like we could kind of go on about it ad nauseum. You know what I mean? But uh, I have one more question before we pivot out of this is, and, and wait, let me preface that. Brian. Your girlfriend's family is not American. They are American. Oh, so they oh, were no, just that, oh that that girl is super yeah. American. Oh, yeah. because he said like one They're thing like, about American people, so I, I assumed that they were looking at oh, her yeah, as no. an outsider. She's so, as American as it gets. <laughs> Mayflower. I, oh, they're like Mayflower. <laughs> Yo, <for> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, they wrote the That's fucking uh, Constitution. <laughs> how, how, how are they taking this? Good lady, by the way. Mm. And, and, uh, and the reason why I ask specifically is because I feel like I, in my book club yesterday, right, uh, the idea came up about this being the first time in American history that white people have the have had the experience of being perceived as a threat while they're on the street. <laughs> oh, that's super interesting. Please. I saw that. And actually, you know, that's really funny because this is a thought and discussion I've had with Emily before, given that my family is Chinese. So like, you know, this whole Chinese virus, right? We, we've right. actually established you're Amish on this Wait. podcast. <laughs> you were Chinese. It's canon, you're Amish. <laughs> I mean, this this room I'm currently in doesn't really <laughs> scream Chinese, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, so actually, Emily's been way more cautious about this than I have, as has her family. Um I think her dad and I are on the same page about this, but by and large, they're very, very cautious about it and like have made sure to keep things clean whenever there's like delivery or they get groceries. They also clean the cans, bottles with those wet wipes. I do um, as well, just, just to put it out there. Yeah. My, <laughs> and so that's the other thing. My, my folks do it too. I'm like the, I'm the outlier. I'm the black sheep. I don't like, I'm just like, yeah, you know, if it's like, Brian, you're also like 16 years old, so I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I've got I've got youth on my side. Um, JC and I are a little more up there. I mean, I wasn't doing it because I was kind of living the mentality of Edgar, like you know, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And then I just happened to tune into like CNN and their like senior healthcare correspondent, and he was doing it. And then once that thought was put in my head, and I'm like, oh no, I gotta do it. And so I do it, and sometimes I even question, like, if I've done it thoroughly enough. But I'm like... Yeah, like, what if but, you miss a spot? Exactly. You know? yeah. But I'm like... like impossible. But I, but I did I it, right? never miss a spot. And then, like, you know, even... How like do you, coming, how do you clean up. your cans, but you don't burn your clothes? Like but, that's the thing. I don't clean my cans. I just rinse my cans. So I'm, like, cutting Then corners. you're spreading it all over your sink. You know? So, but the thing is, I let... The, I'm like, the can's been sitting for, like, days... Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> and then like 
like even as I carry my like shipment, like Amazon packages, and I'm like bringing it up to my apartment, and I'm like analyzing. I'm like, oh, I read those articles about like mm-hmm. COVID, you know, running rampant in the in the warehouses. I'm like, I definitely have to unbox it and clean the inside of the pa- the inside packaging too. So I go that far, but in terms of cans, I just I try to pour it into a glass, but I don't, you know. But I definitely like drop everything off in front of my door wipe everything down and like i have like a 30 minute process every single time i come inside the apartment like after i left so i I will say edgar to like kind of answer your question a little bit more my my dad has actually been kind of like like on this subject a lot like anytime i'd say like yeah i'm gonna head out for a sec or like you know even when i was coming up here to connecticut he was constantly telling me, like, man, those those Americans, and I know he means like white guys, you know, like <laughs> white, white people, like, yo, know, you gotta you gotta watch out, man. They're not they're not obeying these like quarantine orders. They're not wearing masks. They're not keeping themselves clean. They're like they're bringing society down, and like they're infecting everyone else and putting everyone in danger. And I'm like, man, like, it's, all right, I get it. Yeah, can I, I, can I, I mean, present? Yo, we all unmuted at the exact same time, and I think that's a beautiful fucking uh, thing. Let me talk. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let Aggie go first. I'm no, just no, gonna no. Uh, I'm gonna pop in right after Aggie. Yeah. Oh no, I, I mean, I was just gonna say that it's it's interesting that he feels that way because it's like obviously I'm going by the pictures. I'm not down there at these protests that are happening down south. It's mm-hmm. mostly in southern states. It's mostly in these photographs. It's mostly white people, and I'm assuming that it's southern white people that are not used to having their bodies policed. Right? It's it's the most foreign thing that could occur to them is that now their body is being policed by an outside entity where you can't do certain things with your body. And not only can't you not do certain things with your body, you also have to come outside and be prejudiced. That's not the word I'm looking for. You also have to come outside and be looked at as a threat, right? Like, and for us, it's not that weird, right? Like for me, it's not weird to go outside and be looked at as a threat. It's not weird to be told what to do with my body. Like, it's not weird to be told you can't go into these areas. You can't go here. You can't go there. You can't do this. You can't do that. That's relatively normal, right? And, uh, you know how, like, uh, what's the word epigenetics? It's like the, the inherited trauma. It's like, there is a part of me inherited and expressed, right? Inherited and expressed trauma where it's kind of like I, in my past, my past indicates that I've definitely been told what to do. Right. Like I've been told where I can go and where I can't go. So this entire experience is a lot lesser to me than it would be for some some southern whites that are freaking out in these protests because and I don't think it's a conscious thing. Right. I don't think that they're thinking like I'm not a threat. You can't tell me what to do with my body. But I do feel like there is a part of it that kind of feels like this is a very unique experience for them to be viewed at as a threat and to be told what to do with their bodies. couple things. Um, so first off, Brian, looking at you and your beautiful mahogany insanely gorgeous living room that you're in right now. So let's say this virus 
was inverted. And let's say people who... Uh, how old are you, Brian? 27, 28, 29? 27. 27. Forever 27, bro. <laughs> I hope you make it to 28. Uh, let's say this virus Damn. was... Uh, much like the Spanish flu, if I remember correctly, was in adv- was uh, disproportionately affecting people in their twenties, right? Would you feel you'd feel different, right? You'd feel like more. Let's say that, like the you know, I, I think it's something like half of the cases of of uh, death are people over like seventy or sixty five mm-hmm. or something like that. Let's say that that was people between twenty and thirty, right? you'd probably be acting a little different, right? Like your, your threat level, your, your, your idea, your conceptualization of the threat is, uh, is, uh, is informed by the data. So let's say it was different. You might be more like your dad, right? Like you're a man of science, you're a man of facts. If you know that the virus can live on a surface for 24 hours to a week, depending on what that surface is and depending on the aerodynamics of how it was discharged, uh, you would be way more concerned with keeping things clean and social distancing. Not to suggest that you're not doing these things, but to you'd probably be a little more uh, obsessed with the prudency of how people are interacting. And it sounds like your dad is um, kind of being appropriate for his age group and for his knowledge. Um you know, like like imagine an alt world version of Brian where this virus was disproportionately affecting people of your exact age group. Wouldn't you act a little more like your dad in that situation? I definitely would. And just to clarify, it's not as if I'm not being cautious at all. I do believe I am being cautious enough. And that's based upon just knowledge of how this, at least as far as we know, how this virus works. So I do wash my hands. I actually shower morning and night. <laughs> like before, like even right after coming <laughs> yeah, back good, into the Yeah, home. that's great, man. <laughs> great pause right there. I actually shower yeah. <laughs> morning yeah, and night. <laughs> keep, keep going, keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, and so like, you know, with respect to the food thing, I do... I do understand what the what the intent is, but I think it might be excessive in the sense that, you know, kind of like to, to Edgar's point, like if you have this belief that if if you need to like clean cans, clean foods, clean jars before you eat the food or whatever it is, like it if it's there it's going to be everywhere. Like the fact that you brought that bag of food back home and then put it in your house, it's already there. It's in the air, right? Not that I'm saying that that's the case. My understanding of how this thing actually works though is that it needs to have some contact with your respiratory tract. Um, And that's primarily because your respiratory tract has a thin membrane, a thin enough membrane that if the virus were present in some droplet form, it can just easily pass through into your bloodstream. So your Yo, eyes are also... My, my membrane is thick and large. And <laughs> With two C's. Glorious. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, doesn't every percentage of decreased probability uh, contribute to the whole? Yeah, it does. And that's why I think, you know, like, I think there's a sufficient amount of 
sort of caution that you precautionary measures is is enough like it, yeah. there's a point where it's like overkill in my opinion at least i could be very wrong I, about it but that's my angle about and how i deal with this for, for sure i definitely read that the um the transmission is definitely higher airborne than it is through like surface to surface contact so uh -huh. like to that point you know maybe alex and i are doing a little bit too, more than you know we you know, should but at the same time you know i'm happy with everybody taking their precautions to whatever level, whatever your definition of enough is, the, the, the issue really is all the other folks, right, that think none of this is necessary. You know, yeah. I, I don't think they're just in the southern states. I think it's basically just outside of most major cities. Yo, dude, yeah. Illinois, Michigan, and Pennsylvania are not southern states, and they've all had similar protests. I, I, I think this is... Um, I'm going to be a little PC here and say, like, uh, this is a working class issue. I'm going to use coded language and say that more than it's an issue of actual, uh, you know, the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, I do think there are tendencies involved in that line. But, um, I, you know, uh, Michigan right now has um, total cases of 41,000, total deaths of 3,000. So rate-wise, they're actually well above the average as far as like how many cases uh, linked to total deaths and they're still having those protests. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a state that used to have a strong middle class, a strong union presence that's all been dissolved over the last 10, 20 years. Uh, so uh, to Eggie's point, I think there are a lot of people who are dealing with these types of struggles for the first time and are having a kind of identity crisis as a result of that. All those states, while they're not southern, they're hella white. Well, yeah, I mean, Yo, racist, I, I mean, most states outside of metro. That. I didn't say that, but you said that for me. Well, I mean, so I'll say to be Mich fair, most Mich Michigan is like eighty-five percent white or some shit. I will not argue like, those, and, those and, numbers. And the other fifteen percent are all in Detroit, so it's like. These are facts. These are like, you know, <laughs> like I can barely these, validate yeah, those. Yeah, <laughs> these are facts. I have the census in my head, bro. <laughs> um, he is the census. Um, and I think there's also what you were saying about the whole like experience. Um, there's a, a part of like going back to your previous question. Um, if America had dealt with something like this, not a pandemic, but even an epidemic of this magnitude or not even this magnitude, like, a fraction of this, the country probably would have definitely reacted a little different as opposed to all the countries in Asia who just had like MERS a few years ago and then SARS. And then, so they've already had like, this is like, this is a fire drill for them. Like the fact that we have fire drills and like, you know, like it was only in the last, what, like 15, 20 years, maybe since I was in school that they started doing like bomb threats and like shooting drills at schools. Prior to that, that was never a thing. Um, so now that this is becoming a thing, like this is gonna get gonna get added into the routine of like precaution. And the next time something even close to this comes, rest assured, like that that pandemic committee is not gonna or the uh, infectious uh, disease company uh, committee is not going anywhere in the future. And another fun fact: Did you guys find out that George W. Bush is the reason why we? even had an infectious disease committee in the government. Shout out to W, the only president I have a beer with. No, he's like <laughs> one of those presidents where like everybody hated him so much. 
because we thought that was the worst it can get. And then, like, after the fact, he's like, oh, he's actually not a bad guy. He's kind of funny. Like, he's Turns out ironic. it could be a lot worse. Well, yeah. to, I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the reality. It's to, like, to, be fair, to be fair, I feel like W is, like, our first layman's president. Like, he's the introduction of the layman's presidents. Um, you know, where he wasn't like overtly racist, he wasn't like overtly rude. Yo, he or spoke Spanish. Divisive. <laughs> but he, I mean, he did he but, was the governor of Texas. Come on. But he was overtly dumb. You know what I mean? Like it, it was like, oh shit, this motherfucker regular shit. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's it, it was like the first president that made it feel like, oh, this this thing is really just like it's a family business kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like he solidified that because even his father had like a pedigree. You know, he was the head of the CIA. He was the vice president, and he had a pedigree, and you kind of believed that there was a requirement to be in president and W kind of broke down the walls and said, yo, you could be a total shithead, but get here. You know what I mean? So, uh, but American dream (laughs) word. One thing about what Jason said that is awfully true is the fact that America, bro, we're tweens, right? Like in the grand scope of things. And, and, you know, we, we kind of put history into context and some other, uh instances is the idea that america we're tweens right like we're brand new at this the asian delegation of humans has been around for thousand years plus you know what i mean so it is of no surprise that there are some things that they are very well equipped to handle that we still need to figure out right yeah i mean like what is an american you know uh, it, it's a mentality, it's a culture, but it's definitely not. I mean, we're, I, we're right now on a Zoom call slash podcast with four fully fledged Americans, and none of us look like what someone would think is a standard American. So. Yeah, and and to boot, one of us is drinking a white claw, which is fucking crazy. You Wait, who's I mean? drinking the white claw? <laughs> yeah, what flavor is that, Jason? <laughs> Own it, own it. What I flavor? Got, I got a multi pack, you know. Uh, so it's all you know. Every every can is a surprise until you know. There's, I don't really, I don't even read like what the flavor is. I just open it and drink it because I'm gonna drink it. All right. Well, I'm it's, drinking Kentucky bourbon because I'm a goddamn American. <laughs> <laughs>